So from verse 1, a prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Ecoshite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Kamal wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. <clears throat> the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. This is the word of God. We invite Calvin, who is our speaker this morning. Merry Christmas, church. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are God. And you stand alone in the midst of all this that is happening. We pray that as we speak of your word, as we learn from your word, the prophecy in Nakum, we ask that you will work in us a wonderful work, a deep work of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lianhe Zaobao, Singapore's Chinese newspaper, has been organizing the Chinese Word of the Year since 2011. For the seven-year running, readers were invited to participate in an annual poll by choosing a Chinese character that the few would best summarize local and major international news events of the year. In 2013, the word of the year was Mai or Haziness. Now, this Mai is not Siu Mai, it's Wu Mai. Wu Mai as in haze. Because that year, Singapore was engulfed by the haze from Indonesia. In 2014, the word of the year was Luan, understood as disorder or chaos because of the protest movements in Hong Kong, in Taiwan and in Thailand. 
And that year we saw Russia annex Crimea from Ukraine and the Islamic State began to gain global prominence by their capture of Monsul. And if you also recall, 2014 was a sad year with the disappearance of MH370 and MH17 being shot down while flying over Ukraine. The next year we saw the passing of Singapore's founding father. So Singaporeans chose the word Yao or glory as the word of the year. We remember long queues outside Parliament House and the multiple memorial points all across the islands remembering LKY. Last year, Singaporeans chose Pian or change, expecting huge changes to world order with the British deciding to leave the European Union and Donald Trump being elected winner of the US presidential elections. This year, the Pao's character of the year is Kong, understood as terror or fear. Although the most terrifying things this year, thing this year in the Singapore context was the breakdown of the MRT, this is not the reason why Singaporeans chose the word Kong as the word of the year. The reason for Singapore's choice of the word reflects the near daily activities, near daily reports of terror attacks and terror related activities in 2017. Wikipedia has a listing of all the actual events that happened. But if that listing is true, it is shocking because what was actually reported well, what actually happened are uh, a lot more than what was actually reported. One guy put all these incidences reported on Wiki and plotted it on this map. His tabulation shows a total of 1,100 terror attacks and 7,500 terror-related deaths. Maybe it was because of sensationalism or maybe because of ease of information access. Our news gave extensive coverage only to events in America and in Europe. But a simple study of the list showed majority of the terrorist activities are happening in the Middle East and in Africa. Even then, terror attacks in the UK's Westminster, London's Bridge, in Barcelona, in New York, in Ariana's concert in Manchester are unacceptable within the normal Singaporean context. There is somehow a common misunderstanding that terrorists targets only non-Muslims. This is not true. Events this year have shown that both Christians and Muslims can be both victims of terror. For example, on 24th November this year, in Egypt's Sinai, attackers put explosives around the mosque and targeted its Muslim worshippers. After the worshippers came out from Friday prayers, the attackers shot at the survivors using automatic weapons, car bombs and rocket-propelled grenades, resulting in 309 dead and 128 injured. Two weeks ago, on 17 December, nine people were killed, 57 injured when two suicide bombers, two youths, 16 to 20 in age, strapped 15 kilos of explosive to their bodies, attempting to self-detonate inside Pakistan's Battle Memorial Methodist Church during his Sunday worship service. It's like this service and somebody suddenly strapped themselves with bomb and then attempt to self-detonate themselves with every one of us in it. A typical Sunday morning, and that church has 400 worshippers. But thankfully, the security stopped the two guys and one bomb detonated before he entered the main door. Imagine if that boy, if that youth went through the main sanctuary. At the backdrop of all these terror-related activities, we see repeated nuclear threats in the Korean Peninsula. 
We also read of the plight caused by violence in Syria and the persecution towards the Muslim Rohingya people in Myanmar. Organized violence are displacing millions of people from the comfort of their homes to Jordan, Lebanon, Bangladesh, Indonesia and Malaysia. <clears throat> Singapore is not spared from all this. In 2017 March this year, Minister Shambhogan said it's not a matter of if but when terrorists may attack us. And sure enough, a plot to hit MBS with a rocket from Batam was unfoiled in August. It seems to us that no one, regardless of race, language, religion or nationality, can be considered safe from the threats of terror in today's world. Oxford Dictionary defined terrorists as a person who use unlawful violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. Although we are used to think of terrorists as unorganized individuals, but as world history and situation will tell us, some of, this, or some of them are in fact highly organized. Their motivation is, is to use violence to create bargaining chips to advance their political objectives against their opponents. The acts of violence are intended to compel their opponents to fulfill their will. Violence is not new in the Bible. Our text in Nahum illustrates for us the atrocities of one such people, the Assyrians. The prophetic book of Nahum was set in the context of the Assyrian conquest over Israel during the 9th to 6th century BC. At that time, they were the superpower of the world. They got the biggest economy, the biggest army, and also a very big ego. They not only wanted to conquer, but they wanted to squash every opponent. It was the Assyrians that sacked northern kingdom Israel, leaving only the southern kingdom Judah. It was during this period of Assyrian power, the city of Nineveh became the capital. At that time, Nineveh was the largest city in the world. But it was not Assyrian imperialism or occupation that became the problem. Rather, what made God really upset was the cruelty that was associated with the Assyrian conquest. To the Assyrians, winning is not about everything. It's not everything. They not only want to win, they want to squash everything. Bible, the Bible and the archaeological findings detail extreme brutality of the Assyrians. Their acts of violence include skinning captives alive, piercing sharp objects through a living person, making people consume their own urine and excrement, making people grind bones of their ancestors, Decapitation, mutilation, ripping out tongues, making pyramid of human heads, forcing prisoners to live in kennels like dogs. Their inhuman acts of terror caused the people of Israel and other captive nations to be living in fear. And because of the power that Assyrians wield, it was unimaginable to think that the days of terror will ever end. Such acts of terror and violence really made God upset. Through Nahum, God spoke of retribution and judgment to Nineveh. This was a representation that judgment would soon come to the whole people of Assyria. Nahum prophesied that no matter how seemingly powerful Nineveh is, God is sovereign. In Eugene Peterson's translation of Nahum, of Nahum chapter 1 verse 12 to 14, he says, And God has something to say about all this. Even though you are on the top of your world, with all the applause and all the votes, you will be mowed down flat. You are the end of the line. It is all over in any way. I'm cutting your temple. 
your gods and goddesses go into the trash. I'm digging your grave. It is an unmarked grave. You are nothing. No, you are less than nothing. The message from God is clear. <clears throat> although Nineveh and Assyria has huge political might, has huge military might, its tyranny will come to an end. And history tells us that Nahum prophecy came to pass when the Babylonians destroyed the Assyrian Empire in a few decades. The message of God to Nahum was to encourage God's people. Oppressed by a seemingly invincible oppressor, Israel could look to God for deliverance. Within the few years, the invisible Assyria was no more destroyed by the hand of God. This Sunday is the first Sunday of Christmas, and my wife chided me for bringing up such a morbid sermon topic in place of the usual Christmassy sermons. So I promised her I will, not, uh, I will make this as palatable as possible. So uh, I told her that there will be no execution, no gouging out eyes or no bloodshed in this sermon. <clears throat> Many powerful developed nations seem powerless before these terrors. Even as we celebrate Christmas this week, acts of terror continue to flood our news. Just yesterday, another church in Egypt was, became a target. Last night, Straits Times showed a Singaporean radical executing somebody. So the minister's statement of not if, but when, stresses the eventuality of terror acts. It tells us to be vigilant, to put up our defences and to prepare our responses should the days of damnation fall upon Singapore. It is in this context we must be reminded of the three aspects of God from the prophecy on Nakum. Number one, God is always in control. God is still God. His powers are greater than the strongest combined. The Bible tells us that the heaven and earth are seas. He is the God of the sun, the rain, the storm, the mountains, and the earth, and the sea. We humans fear and are swayed by situations larger than us because we look at these threats in the microness of every day. We think of those powerful humans, the politicians, the warlords, or the terrorists are in charge. But we forget that God is larger. No nation, no one can stand before the Almighty. Last weekend was Christmas. And I decided to get my six-year-old son a water gun for his Christmas present. Now this water gun can shoot three meters. And with him being armed with such a powerful weapon, I decided that I should be armed also. Because I cannot go into a water gun battle and go like a you know, military exercise and go bang, 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 bang. That will be, that will be unbecoming. I will be put in a difficult position. So I also got my water gun that can shoot 3 meters. He has a water gun that shoots 3 meters. We decided to go to the pool to go for a water gun battle. So that afternoon, we went for lunch. At lunchtime, the sky turned a bit dark. And, I, and, good parents, and as good parents, we told the kids, well, if it rains, we have to cancel. Huh? After that, if not, you will fall sick, fall sick because school is reopening soon. And as children, they got visibly upset. And I said to them, I don't control the weather. You know, it's God's department. If you want to swim, you should pray. After lunch, I looked out again and I gave a simple report. I think it's going to rain. 
And then my daughter blurted out angrily, Daddy, can you stop trying to make it rain? We are like this. Because we don't usually see God with our physical eye. We think someone else is in charge. But the truth is God is right there. He's there with Nakum and all those suffering under the atrocities of Syria. He, today he is here despite of all the injustice around us. God spoke and Nahum came to pass. So we are always to remember that the injustice and the fear we see today will also pass. Number two, he will judge fairly whoever is right and wrong. One of the most beautiful and amazing things about Christianity is that God never does show partiality. He is an impartial God. From the times of Joshua to, to the Israelite kings, God raised Israel as an example to the wicked in the land of Canaan. Later on, when Israel failed, God raised the Assyrians against Israel. And later on, God used the Babylonians against the Assyrians. He is the fairest judge without fear or favor. Israel or not, Christians or not, and as Nakum 1.3 says, He will not leave the guilty unpunished. When we see the recent history of the world, in the dual world wars, the atrocities of the Holocaust and the Japanese occupations, Despite all the evils of terror, God has always put to right everything that has gone wrong. For all the evil of this generation that we see today, it will be the same. He is personally committed to see that evil does not triumph. It may be tomorrow or years later, but for sure, His justice is not a matter of if, but when. The third point of our text is cliché. You all heard it before. Non-Christians heard it before. God is love. But what you don't know is how much. We know intellectually God is love. We hear about it all the time. You may have experienced it somehow, somewhere, some form. But I want to tell you that no one can really, really comprehend how deep, how wide, and how much is His love. Nineveh's atrocities are not new. Just 100 years before Nakum, God's prophet Jonah was so disgusted with Nineveh that he could not preach salvation to them. But God in his love insisted. Although Israel failed God time and again, God continued to speak of his love for his people throughout each book of the Bible. And today his love continues in us. Christians, non-Christians, and yes, including the terrorists, including those who cause harm, and everyone in ISIS. His love extends to them too. So how much does He love us all? This is how much He loves us all. So much that His Son Jesus will take our place in judgment, no matter what or how much evil we have done. The person may be a suicide, bomb, suicide bomber or Osama bin Laden. God loves him the same. The cross is the same for you, for me and for Osama. God's love, in God's love, there is no ifs. The only if is in us. If we will only accept His love. Terror attacks are the form of injustice where people become victims. Life is full of such injustice. At some point, we will journey on this path. Writer A.W. Tozer calls it the dark night of the soul. <clears throat> Psalm 23 calls it the valley of the shadow of death. You are not dead, but living as if in death's shadow. You are journeying as if a dead person wishing for a 
death as an easy escape, but not allowed to die. No one knows when injustice will strike. Yet if it does, I hope the message in Nakum will encourage you to know clearly that God is in control. No matter what happens, God's love is unchanging. He will set everything right. However, I want to caution one point. And that is, we must not prejudge God. We must not, we must not prejudge what God will do. The great city of Nineveh of the Assyrians was crushed by the Babylonians in 612 BC. But the city of Assyria were not destroyed. Today, some 4 million of them live in diaspora all over the world with strong knowledge of their civilization. But the interesting fact is, most of these Assyrians today are Christians of the Eastern Orthodox tradition. It is said that the Assyrians were among the first to accept Christianity in the first century AD through the ministry of the Apostle Thomas. It was also reported their ministry zeal sent some of the first missionaries to China, Japan and the Philippines in the days of the early church. If the ancient terror like the Assyrians can come to know Christ, why would it be impossible today that those who wish death for us or those who cause us to suffer may come to know God's love and justice? Brothers and sisters in Christ, even if the age of terror do fall upon us in Singapore, even if some guy walks through our church door today and self-detonate, even if one day we walk up, wake up and find that the MRT service is terminated not because of some technical fault, but because some bomb exploded, our response must always be to have faith in God and to love like God. Corrie ten Boom lived in the Netherlands during the World War II. She and her family helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. One day, the Nazis arrested the entire Tambun family and sent them to prison. In prison, Corrie watched her sister Betsy starve to death. She said in her book, The Hiding Place, Often I have heard people say how good God is. We pray that it will not rain for a church picnic and look at the lovely weather that we have. Yes, God is good when He sends good weather. But God is also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in the German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God has forgotten us. Betsy said, No, Corey, he had not forgotten us. Remember his word, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. There is an ocean of God's love available. There's plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you at the last day of this year, looking back, and remember those who are suffering in the world. We ask that, Lord, you will send your comfort and your relief to them. We ask that, Lord, you will stir our hearts up and have hearts of compassion to share love who are suffering to those who are suffering around us. 
And Father, to those who are suffering in our midst, we ask that, Lord, you will grant them grace. You will help them remember that you are always in control and that you stand alone and that your love is unchanging. We commit our next year to you and that we may have confidence knowing that you are sovereign to go forth, to share your love, to live out your love in our hearts and our hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.